you know, part of part of that time away, um, we're we were talking very deliberately about what we want to be doing in this season of our journey. And that sounds like a guy who's getting old. I don't really feel old, but when my dad was as old as me, I thought he was old. I don't know what that means. Nobody's laughing. I thought that was funny. It's not funny. All right. Uh, that's because you're as old as I am, buddy. Anyway, uh, so, uh, but, I, you know, it, I didn't, but my point being that, you know, w- I, what I've concluded is what, what do I want to be about in my life and in ministry is not about building structures or organization, but about surrendering to the path of Jesus and inviting others to the same thing. That's all I want to be about. And so, uh, to be very clear, um, it's it's not about you know starting up anything new. It's about it's about this proclamation that uh, is said well in Jeremiah chapter six. You know, return to the ancient paths. That's what I would say. I really want to be about is just being a voice that says there's an ancient path called surrendering it, being centered in the love of God revealed in Christ and embracing how he saw the world, the the paradigms that he saw the world, the posture, his practices, and that's enough, okay, that we can say to ourselves and one another, it's enough to say yes to Jesus. I don't have to sit here and measure myself against all kinds of other things. So this is a part, by the way, of why over the last few years, I, I have begun to, the, the practice of uh, teaching out of the lectionary because the lectionary texts were set up in a, in a manner by church fathers as a way to embrace the wisdom of teaching the life of Jesus. And it goes over the course of three years, and it rotates around. And so uh, generally, we don't, uh, we're, we're not going to be spending very much time talking about a series on you know, one topic or the other here, we're really going to be most of the time talking about Jesus and his life. However, I'm taking a slight parting from that, a little bit of liberty. We're staying on the teaching of Jesus, but over the next seven weeks, um, I'm wanting to take a very deliberate uh, time to teach out of the Beatitudes. Now, this comes on the backdrop of a couple of different things. One is for the last several months, almost a year now, I have been praying on a regular basis through a, a regular prayer uh, um, litany in the morning that I go through, um, and, and part of that includes um, the, the liturgy, I said a litany, a liturgy, a prayer liturgy, and part of that prayer liturgy is praying through the, the uh, Beatitudes. And so typically on most mornings at some point, sometimes I'm driving, sometimes I'm not, but I'm praying through each of the Beatitudes. And being able to do that and, and to slow myself down has been a transformative um, place in my own prayer journey, one that I'm now at a point where I'm beginning to say, I want to invite others just to kind of explore what this might look like, not to, for it to become rote, but for it to begin to really kind of take roots in me. Um, and so I, I, I'm, that's, that's part of it. I'm also going to be teaching it um, using this. Oh, let me reach over. I'm, I'm using a, a, the backdrop of a book. I don't typically do this, but I am this time because 
Uh, this is a book by Mark Scandrett called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, The Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. And what he's done in this book is just simply come through, and what he invites us to take a look at is the wisdom behind each of the Beatitudes in a way to, to uh, embrace a posture in our life that reflects the wisdom revealed in each of those Beatitudes. And so that, there's, that's the deliberate reason. So I'm, I want to acknowledge that I'm leaning heavily on his material. Um, and, you know, it, it, again, on the backdrop of the fact that as Jesus begins to teach through the Sermon on the Mount, um, he's teaching to those who were, who were beginning to follow him but had been surrounded by a religious narrative that was known and accepted at that time, that if you wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've heard me say this before, that it was known that you had to be Jewish, male, religiously upright, healthy, and wealthy. Interesting. I could go into a lot of settings and find several of those high points and saying, yeah, Sounds really familiar. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it is on that backdrop, it's radical and it's revolutionary because Jesus is saying, blessed are the ones at the very opening. Blessed are the poor, Luke 6.20, Matthew 5, verse 3, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what he was saying is, the very ones that you assumed and concluded were utterly abandoned by God, the poor. Jesus said, they're blessed and the kingdom belongs to them. It's a radical thing. And so these aren't just pretty words. We want to sit down and say, Lord, teach me what the wisdom that you are proclaiming in each one of these proclamations. So, uh, again, I know that over the next six, seven weeks, it's going to look and feel different. I'm, I'm wanting to go through this leading up to Advent, uh, but that's the direction that we're going. Title of the message this morning is The Way of Trust, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember the narrative in Jesus' day, the wealthy were considered blessed. And I again echo that particular conclusion hasn't left the building, has it? Um, to the wealthy, to the prosperous, we still say today they are blessed, right? In fact, I, I've worked, I, my wife and I have tried to work at a, a point of saying um, we don't even, we, we're trying to work in our language to to confront ourselves that when somebody says, oh, man, you know, nice, nice place that you live, I don't respond by saying I'm blessed. I'm blessed because I'm known and loved of God, all right? So anyway, like I said, you know, we got books that are written on this kind of stuff. So I want to begin this morning. Uh, and just if we can, let's go ahead and watch a little bit of that video. We're, those of you on the Zoom call, I know this might be a little bit painful to try to hear, but we're going to give it a whirl, all right? Um, go ahead and play that video if you wouldn't mind, Jen, and let's see. Now, if Evelyn was sitting here, which she was a little earlier, she just gets thrilled at the idea. She said, that's me. That's Evelyn Jane. 
Ooh. Now, I did ask parents' permission if I could share that this morning, and they said if everybody, you know, is willing to listen to the sound, I said, that sound was a gorgeous sound to me. That gorgeous sound I heard over the phone early morning, July the 3rd, 2019. The reason, again, you guys know this, but why it was so, it was, it was a sacred sound to me because, you know, we had been, uh, the Logan and Holly had faced all but concluded that they would not be able to have children. And to hear her cry was a sacred moment. Um, and so that was just, you know, there's little Evelyn there. She's only a few hours old, maybe two or three hours old at that particular moment. I recorded it on my phone. I don't ever want to delete it, okay? I don't ever want to forget how she sounded. Now, uh, it's, there's still moments I'll, I'll just listen to that, and it makes me cry. But she came into the world the way that virtually every other child, almost all of them who are healthy, come into the world. When they're not screaming and writhing, something's not right, correct? Okay, so babies that make their entrance into the world usually look like this, clenched fists and wailing. Why is that? Well, they've just left the most warm, comfortable place that they've ever known. Uh, they've entered into a place of bright lights, loud sounds, all kinds of things that are unknown. The only thing that they know is something's missing and something's lacking, right? And so there is this little, I wanted to call it a device. <laughs> That's not right. There's a little organ in our brain called the amygdala, and it releases a bunch of adrenaline into the body, and for that little baby, it comes out like this, clenched fists, screaming their head off. And that, and that well-known response is something that we call fight or flight, right? It's a primal response, that primal anxiety that says, I don't have enough, something is missing, and something is lacking. Interesting. Because it almost never leaves us. When we're walking down the path and we see a stick, but we thought it was a snake, we jump, right? When we're walking through life and we're experiencing something that we didn't know was going to happen that causes us deep sorrow and pain, something inside of us clinches, right? You see, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Part of that in, in my own prayer time is I'll, I'll at times as I'm praying that praise to say, Lord, I, I, I want to I, help me to recognize my own poverty, not to, so I can flail on myself, but that I can recognize it and bring it before you. Because here's the truth. None of us find poverty a blessing. That's the truth. I've been, I've been all over the lots of different places around the world. I've seen incredible abject poverty, and I want to say this clearly. It is not a blessing. But that feeling of poverty, of not having enough, of lacking, it's a difficult place. And yet Jesus proclaims the person who doesn't have enough, who is lacking, who feels that they don't have what they need, are blessed. 
And it's, again, it's totally opposite of the narrative that all of us just feel, you know, within our spirit. Uh, those who had enough were declared blessed by God. The rich, the powerful, they're given place, they're given platform to this day. The poor physically, mentally, emotionally, go down the list. The poor, they cling to the last crumb. And you know what? That was true in Jesus' day, and I believe it's true even today. Now, here's what I want to say. I often say, you know, I want to begin a message by proclaiming the good news that we're trying to proclaim. Let me say some bad news first. Because what I'm talking about right now applies to absolutely every one of us. Ultimately, no matter how well we plan, how well we prepare, how much we try to surrender our lives, we'll all encounter places of not enough, of lack. We're all gonna, we all have the places uh, where the, the diagnosis, I, you know, I, I think I've shared this with you, I, you know, a brother who's just a couple years older than me, suddenly hits a diagnosis that he didn't plan for. The sudden loss, the disappointments. Life is hard. And we all have them. And, and here's what happens. When we encounter those moments, we assess our resources. Okay? I, I you know, more than one in my life right now over the last year, just in their financial picture, have gone from a place where they were like, Things are pretty steady, and they're pretty good, To, It's like the bottom came out completely. Okay, so we assess our resources and the challenges that we have, and the reaction is to grasp emotionally, physically. You know, I, I uh, had a family in, that was a part that, you know, had to go through this storm down in Florida recently, and they had another, you know, someone near to them that they had an extra generator, by the way. You know, they have two of them, one big old one hooked up to the house. They had, the, they had a backup one. And they said, can we borrow that one? They said, well, we might need it. Interesting, isn't it? That, that sense that can happen. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn anybody, but that newborn instinct at the potential of lack my point is that I'm trying to get at our instinct. Our first instinct is like that sweet little Evelyn. Clenched fist, closed-handed anxiety. It's just in the human frame. Okay? I, my dad called me, interestingly, um, years ago, shortly after we had bought the house that we live in now. And this is before we'd gone through and renovated and all kinds of stuff that needed to be done to it. And he looked at the house, and it's got this, it's got this uh, uh, fireplace that's freestanding off the side of the house. It's not supported well or properly. And he said, oh, that's, that could be a problem. And I said, maybe. Right now, though, we don't have a functioning kitchen. Okay? And that was a fact. This didn't exist. And so I get a phone call a little later in the week after he'd gone home, and he said, what are you going to do about that? I said, what are you talking about? He said, what are you going to do about that fireplace thing? If that fell off the house, that would be really expensive. I said, yes, it would. But I'm not going to do anything about that right now. I have other bigger fish to fry. And so I said, Dad, what are you doing worrying about this? He said, well, you know, I've got to worry about something. And at the time, I thought, you know, 
Dad, you got too much time on your hands. But here's my confession now as a dad of grown adults. As I watch my kids navigate challenges in their life, watch. That clenched fist thing, that closed-handed anxiety, am I going to have enough? Now, watch. As I watch my kids, I find myself doing the same thing. Will they have enough? This stuff just gets you. So, um, and, and it, here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say. Our fear and these, these anxieties that come out of us that over things that we cannot control, uh, let's, let's clearly enunciate what that is. That's recognizing our poverty. I don't actually have enough. But Jesus said I'm blessed? Oh, because watch, a little bit later on in Matthew uh, uh, no, five, let's go down, uh, six, no, seven, seven. He says, uh, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in your barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than, than they? And look at the lilies of the field and see how they grow. Uh, yet, uh, and why, you know, yeah, why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and see how they grow um, in all of their beauty. It, it, Solomon and all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If you, being much more valuable than they, how much more will your heavenly Father not care for those uh, who love him? Now, I totally butchered that, by the way. Forgive me, uh, because I was running right out of memory uh, here in the moment. But my point is, I memorized those verses probably 40 years ago. Now, if I am honest, and I'm going to be honest, I've, I've rehearsed those verses repeatedly and often. Don't worry about your life. And yet, you know one of my biggest challenges in my life daily, sometimes hourly, is worry. Denise has a, she has a, a, a statement for me. You guys ever seen these videos about fainting goats? Anybody ever seen them? Yeah, look it up on YouTube, man. It's really hilarious. Because they have these little goats. I don't know what, what I don't know what I was going to say, what brand, what type of goats they are. But if you run up on these goats and you, and you scare them, frighten them, they actually fall over and go like pretend like they're dead. It, it is the funniest thing to watch on a video. And she said, Ben, you're doing the fainting goat thing, which is, okay, so that makes sense. It's like something happens and I'm like, oh, no, it's all over. <laughs> okay? So that's, you know, honey, you're doing the fainting goat thing. I am not. I said, yes, you are. So. My point is, I want you to be honest. I, I just want to be honest that I know all too well what closed-handed anxiety looks like. And it, it finds its way into our bodies. Headaches, neck aches, back aches. See, we don't do what Evelyn does anymore, right? We're, we're grown-ups. We take Tylenol. Because we got a headache, because we've been clenching our jaw all day long, right? Um, so, the good news, however, that I want to proclaim today is this. Jesus knew by experience in his humanity that it's possible to live in open-handed trust towards his heavenly Father. Remember that big old storm? 
And his friends said, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, wait, he's sleeping. We're going to die. How could you be asleep? <laughs> That's me sometimes. Jesus, I'm going to die. All right. But he had come to fully surrender to what the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What now? I shall not want. I lack nothing. Jesus understood that he could live in his humanity in a life without lack in the way of trust, in open-handed trust with his Father. He lived and practiced the reality of divine care and presence, the reality that nothing could separate us from what is most essential to our well-being. Not disappointment, not sickness, not death can separate us from the care and the presence of our Heavenly Father. Now, that's a quote from Mark Scandrett. So this is why Paul says in Romans 8, I become convinced that nothing in all created order can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, the posture of Jesus in a world of closed-handed anxiety was open-handed trust in his Father. So I wonder if you might want to do this with me. I'm going to invite us to part of our response to the message over the next several weeks is just to take a week of exercises. I wonder if you wouldn't mind gently opening your hand and just seeing how that feels compared to clenched fists. It's relaxed. It's peaceful. It's the posture of open-handed trust. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're just going to recognize I'm poor in spirit. And I identify. Now, I want to open my hands. So how, how do we practice open-handed trust? Well, we open our hands to receive good from our good Father. But there's some things that we can do in the midst of that. And the Scripture gives us a few cues. One is that we practice gratitude, that we open our hands and practice gratitude. Um, Paul says this way in Philippians chapter, well, let's start in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we'll go to Philippians 4. Um, First Thessalonians 5, verse 18, give thanks in all things. I remember when I first heard this as a young adult, I thought somebody's trying to browbeat me with something. And by the way, just again, this is just how I'm wired up. I'll hear people quote scriptures, and I still have to look them up to verify it. That's just kind of how I'm wired. Not because I don't believe you, but because I want to see it for myself. And I was like, I need to find that verse for myself. In all things, all things, all things. All things give thanks for. This is the will of God concerning you. I want to know the will of God in my life. Give thanks in all things. And I had a pastor that I used to pray with. I'm pretty sure he's since gone to be with Jesus, but um, African American brother. And he, he we, we'd come together and he'd begin to pray, and he would start out just simply like this: "Lord, thank you that I was able to get up and stand up this morning." Thank you, Lord, that as I went, as I was driving to this meeting, I'm, I'm able to see what's in front of me. And I'm, you know what I'm saying? He just began to rehearse the things that are obvious, and yet he didn't want to take for granted. And I began to treasure that. I thought, you know, first I thought it was kind of cute. And then I thought, no, there's really some wisdom here that I'm proclaiming over myself. Lord, I give you thanks for this new day. We're walking into the building this morning, and my granddaughter said, it's a beautiful day, Opal. I said, yes, it is. We give you thanks. Philippians 4, 
um, give thanks in all, th- uh, for, uh, yeah, in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you. Don't be anxious about anything. I was waiting for it to come back into the hard drive here. Do, do not be anxious about anything, but with everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And, and the God of peace will guard your heart and your mind like a fortress. And, and the peace of God is going to be there. His presence will be there. But then remember verse 8. We often want to stop there, verse 7. Verse 8, finally then, brothers, whatever is good, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy, if anything is, is there in that category, think about those things. So Paul proclaims there's a deliberate practice of setting my mind to think about what's true and right and good and lovely and praiseworthy. Amen? So that practice is a a practice that actually can change, watch this, the posture of my body and as well as the presence that I carry in and around me. Practice gratitude, open-handed gratitude. Number two is to practice generosity. I was getting ready for early morning prayer uh, on Thursday morning, which is just obscenely early. I mean, I have to get up at 5 Sorry, you're already having coffee, like third cup of coffee by 5 a.m., whatever it is. But yeah, <laughs> after I said this, I thought, wait, I, <clears throat> yeah, he's up at like 4 or whatever it is. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm up early that, on that morning to start a prayer meeting quite early. And I, I, where, where I was queued up to read out it was 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 16, which Paul uh, talks about. And I was reading it out of the voice translation. And he's giving this exhortation to the Corinthian church, but he references the Macedonian church. He said, you know, they, they gave, and we weren't even expecting them. We didn't think they had enough to give. They gave out of their poverty to, to care for those who were in need. And it, I began to see some, I was like, oh, my goodness, as I'm praying into this, and I begin to lead into the prayer meeting, the, mo- the, most new, the New Testament most divided church was the church at Corinth. We live in a really divided time, right? Right? Come on, man. Uh, and so it, Paul is exhorting this church and saying, you know, in, in a time when you could have said, ah, sorry, I ain't got nothing. He, he says, you know what, in that generosity, the grace of God was revealed. And so he speaks to the church of Corinth and says, join them. There's a grace that's going to be realized as you as you just step into that agreement because God's able to make all grace abound in your life as you just move in that place of generosity, not because he was looking for an offering. See, we need this today to hear the invitation of, of Jesus to live from not fearing what we don't have or not fearing the evil that's cropping up in the world around us, but living settled in the love of the Father in my life. We're meant to be a part of the flow of abundance to open our hands to receive what we need and share what others have a need of. Amen? That's what generosity looks like. Not a bucket, but something where we flow. We're a river that flows through us. Anyone who believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. So generosity is not about how much we have, but how we live with open hands. You guys are getting my point? So Jesus says to the rich young ruler who said, you know, what do I need? He says, sell everything and give to the poor. Whoa. Notice the posture of the early church in Acts 5. 
they sold their property and gave to everyone who had need. They were listening to what they heard Jesus proclaim. That generosity is a posture of living in trust with your father. Okay? It's not like a like a, you know, you give this much and check mark God owes you something. It's actually just a posture of our heart and our life. So practicing generosity uh, is about trust. And, and then the last thing I'm going to say is this, and I, it, again, it flows very much in a lot of things that we've been talking about, but um, living an open-handed trust means that we hold relationships as a sacred trust. That a relationship that I have that are part of my life, that I hold them as a sacred trust. You know, one of the worst things... Um, of any relationship, it happens when a person makes this statement in word or practice. I don't care. When a child responds and says, "I don't care," whether they're saying it or they're saying it with their <laughs> with their actions, that's problematic, man. So think about this. Think about the life of Jesus. Okay, Jesus encounters men and women. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he comes up and he says, what do you want? So not because he didn't know what they needed or needed to find out what problem to solve, but he was looking for the opened heart to trust in that relationship. Um, I, I've said in... Many, many weddings, something like this, you know, I'll be standing in front of a couple and say, you know, it's a really good day. You look good. You know, everybody else looks good. Great day. But there's a bad day that's coming, not because I'm a prophet, but because I know life is hard. And what you want to do in that moment is you, in that relationship, you choose to hold as a sacred trust this relationship above all things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who hold above all else the sacred trust of love in their relationship with the Father and their relationships with others. And so we accept, Lord, your assessment above all others. That means that I recognize as a sacred thing how I walk in relationship with other people around me and in my relationship with God. So open-handed trust looks like gratitude. It looks like generosity, but it looks like keeping my heart open. And keeping my heart open in a sacred trust means I leave myself open to feeling hurt. Right? But that is part of the, the leaving our heart open and alive uh, before one another. It is the way of trust. Beloved, the posture that Jesus lived from was to proclaim that it is possible to live in open-handed trust towards his Father. Uh, he had come to uh, surrender fully to what the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall be in lack of nothing. I want to proclaim this again, life without lack. The reality is that nothing can separate us from what is most essential to our core well-being, the love of God revealed in Christ, not disappointment, sickness, not even death can separate us from the care and the presence of our loving Heavenly Father and Beloved that is good news. So, beloved, our invitation today is to live from open-handed trust. So as we go into this week, I'm going to invite us just in the simplest of way, whether you're driving down the road or whether it's the way you begin in the morning, whatever your morning routine is, to simply open your hands and say, Lord, I'm coming before you in open-handed trust. Blessed are the poor in spirit.
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? I want to invite you. We want to uh, close this morning by sharing this prayer together. Would you guys stand with me? And we're going to come to the table um, in communion. I think I might have to grab a few more uh, items here for, or, of the communion here in just a moment. Um, if you're on the call, we encourage you to grab something. We're going to share in communion here in just a moment together. Eternal God, let's pray this prayer together. Eternal God, my life is in you. I receive this moment as a gift. All that has been and what lies ahead remain a mystery to me, kept hidden, but I trust in the love that spoke this world into existence. I say yes to whatever this day may bring. I choose the way of Jesus in open-handed trust. Only let me see and cherish what is real the love, mercy, and grace you reveal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we come to this table, we confess in agreement and the truth that we have sinned. We've sinned before you in thought, in word, and deed by what we've done and what we've left undone. We ask that you would cleanse us, that you would wash us, that you would make us new, that we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and the honor of your name. So, Lord, as we take this, these elements together, we proclaim this powerful mystery. Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ is present and here among us. We proclaim his life and his death is sufficient, abundant, and adequate for us. God, we pray this now in his precious name. Amen.